This is the Financial Coconut Podcast, Singapore's first personal finance podcast network. I'm your host, Reggie, aka Your Chief Financial Coconut, and every Tuesday, you'll be joining me on my personal segment, First Dips, where I bring you through some of the latest, most interesting ideas in the personal finance space, hoping you inch closer to the life you love while managing your finances well. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hey, coconut. So, yes, I think budget 2023 has pretty much drowned out everything, right? Like TikTok, IAG... <laughs> Everything, everything, mainstream media, what have you, right? And sometimes it feels like, what are they saying? Huh? Like, like, what they say, right? Like, it's just like another number, another thing, another change, another tweak. You know, how should I contextualize on this? And I'm very happy to have worked with Rice on at least four pieces of content, the alternative budget debate. You should check it out. I think we are opening a new podcast feed for it. So if all is good, you may see more stuff coming on the alternative budget debate. Maybe next year, huh? we'll organize a festival. But today, today, I think by the time this episode goes out, we're more or less at the end of the discussion of budget. So I want to have a reality check. Lah. Like, how should middle-class Singaporeans think about budget 2023? So good! Good morning, everyone. I welcome you to another day with the Financial Coconut. In our podcast, we're debunking financial myths, discovering best financial practices, and discussing financial strategies that fits our unique life. You get it. Ultimately, empowering us to create a life we love while managing our finances well. My name is Reggie, aka Your Chief Financial Coconut, and welcome on joining me on my personal segment, First Dibs. Yeah, finally, I'm recording a whole slew of stuff, right? So, yeah, if you didn't know, I always record in bulk, right? If not, how to do, how to do. So busy, uh, so many things. And today, I want to spend some time to talk about Budget 2023. Yeah, Pretty much, I hope that this is the last podcast you need to listen to contextualize what is going on. Okay, so every year, budget is like the thing, right? Everybody talks about it. There's some sort of coverage. Whether you like it or not, lah, the numbers will hit you, right? <laughs> the content will fly into your face, like it or not, right? Pretty much, there's a blanket coverage in the Singapore media landscape. Everybody will talk about it in different angles. And some angles are definitely more politicized. And politicized, I mean both ends. Uh. It's not just like, you know, oh, ruling party, opposition. No, everybody, as long as it is a media channel that is some level supported by political parties, uh, that will definitely be politicized, lah, right? So it is what it is. And I think sometimes when we look at some of these policies, uh, from my observation, there's also a political leaning, a political slant. When I say political leaning, right, it doesn't mean that you have an ideology around economy. It just means you're a fanboy of PAP, WP, or PSP. 
you know, fanboy, fangirl, right? So that, that's the idea. It is not about whether you have some sort of a economic leaning or do you believe in some ideology? No, you're just a fanboy, fangirl, right? And call it a spade, right? Like you can be a fanboy, fangirl, nothing wrong, right? It's fine, right? There are many people that uh, vote and make decisions based on how they feel. And I think it's okay. Right? It is what it is. It is a reality. And a lot of these political parties will have to compete for that. Lah. But putting aside the political leaning, I think... What I really want to do today is to you know, talk about like where I observe Singapore moving and based on what I understand of budget, of you know, broader economic structures, you know, what is happening in Singapore and abroad, I'm gonna to try to give you some sort of color, right? Some sort of color. So how do I look at this thing, right? Every year they throw me numbers, then then uh what does it mean, uh? right? So <laughs> and that is what my focus for today, right? To try to give you some color, some anchor ideas to know where Singapore is heading towards or to at least kind of grapple on like where Singapore is probably heading towards. Lah, huh? And the pointers I make today, right, is not uh, whether I support this or support the other. I'm just trying to anchor down the ideas for all of us because sometimes I feel like it's a mess. The coverage is not that great, lah, if you ask me. right? It's very plain, very boring and they don't really contextualize on certain things. There's a lot of discussion on like the numbers or oh, this bonus, that thing, you know, like... Oh, it's a, but there's no real contextualizing into the complex policy structure, you know, and, and I think that's where I want to focus on today. Lah. And so budget 2023, right, I believe should be viewed together with budget 2022. Okay, this is my view. Lah, huh? Because I believe there is a continuation, right? And some people will say you can link it up with every other budget, but I believe these two budgets are a lot stronger in the sense of like where we are heading, right? And you can see it, right? So essentially, these two budgets shows that the PAP, which is the current ruling party, right, is going to continue to move economically left, right? In other words, you know, they are really going to move down the idea of tax and spend, okay? So what does economically left mean? So I'm going to define for us. The idea here is left and right, right, is really just conservative and liberal, right? I mean, and this is a, it's a French system, but doesn't matter what they actually mean. It just matters that if you're on the right, right, okay? Okay, that, that's the colloquial understanding is if you're on the right, that means you prefer what it is today, you don't want change. If you're on the left, you want change, okay? So this is pretty much the idea, okay? So then when we're talking about economically left and right today uh, in today's world, because these things change over time, the economic left today really wants to do two things, right? Which is to tax the rich and expand social policies. Okay, this is what the economic left wants to do. Uh. These are the two main things. Tax the rich, expand social policies. And rich can be like companies, can be individuals, anything. Uh. So essentially, tax and spend. So it's redistributive uh, in that sense, right? Tax the rich, expand social policies. The economic right, okay, really wants laissez-faire, right? I mean, let the market do its thing and trickle down economics. This is more iconic of the right. Uh, small government, don't do so much, let the market play out, you know, and then let it balance it out and, and whatever, right? So this is essentially the economic left and the economic right, right? Economic right wants free market, let the market do its thing, trickle down economics. A lot of people come here, spend money, it will somehow trickle down one, which clearly doesn't work. Huh? It has been proven not to work, but anyway, I'm not here to have a debate on that, okay? So, so it is what it is. And then the left really wants two things, which is to tax the rich and expand social policies. And you can see the PAP move left. This is the interesting part, right? Because in the 2022 budget, they introduced supercar tax and they introduced adjustment to how they tax properties. 
right? And in this budget, they continue to make adjustments to how they tax properties. In other words, increase, increase buyer stamp duty and continue to have more car taxes, right? So in other words, it is uh, them finding a way to tax the rich without directly taxing the rich. You know what I'm saying? Right? So, so you, you can see it and continuously there's more and more social spending. You know, we, we have more policies to essentially spend more on healthcare, spend more on transport, spend more on this, spend more on that, right? It's always more. Of course, of course, we can discuss, is it worth it to spend more? You know, like, should we spend more on this? Should we cut that? You know, but that, that's a different discussion altogether, right? But the idea here is the PAP is moving left. You can tell they're going to tax more, especially tax the rich more and then spend more on everyone else. So there is a more redistributive idea, which is why even the mainstream media is talking about like, oh, is Singapore no longer pro-growth? Like now you're pro-redistribution. Sorry, I really hate the pro-anti rubbish, right? Because that is... It's a duality, right? It is forcing something into a dichotomy and it does not help in the discussion, right? The PAP has moved left. Doesn't mean they are like left, left and you know, they just want redistribution and no longer want growth. Right? The idea here, I think they still really want growth. But you can you can sense, right? Where, where is it coming from? Who is pushing out these ideas and all that jazz. But more interestingly, more interestingly is no one else is on the right of the PAP today. Okay? No one else, huh? Nobody, no PSP, no WP, nobody right, is on the right of PAP when it comes to economics. Everybody want more intervention, more taxing on the wealth, and then more expanded social policies. Okay, so everyone in the Singapore Parliament, uh, okay, the PAP is already the most right one already, right? Everyone else is more left than them, in my view, when it comes to this. In other words, Singapore is going to move towards such an economy, right? We're going to move towards a structure where there will likely be more attempts to tax the wealth or tax the rich and then spend it on everyone else, right? Spend it on the poor, spend it on the middle class. I know, I know, I know if you're part of the middle class, there's a little bit of a rage here and there on like the mother tax relief, lah, you know, this, that, right? You, you feel like, hey, are they really supporting the middle class or is it not, okay? But that's a, to me, a different discussion, okay? We, we can have that discussion another time if you really want me to go down there and then like make the whole channel close down, right? I can, I can, huh? <laughs> but the idea is they're going to continue to tax more on the rich, you know, and spend on the mass, right? And this is a shift in the Singapore economic structure. So no good or bad discussion here today. It is just a reality check. It looks like this is what's going to happen. So on this basis, right, I mean, there are some other nuances that I will continue to expound as we move along. But this is the base ground that I want to establish for all of us, right? We are, as a country, moving economically left. And when I say that, I'm conscious that PAP is the ruling government and everyone else is more left than them. Okay, <laughs> so doesn't matter. You vote other people is more left one. Okay, so we are all shifting left. This is the main idea. And with this as the backdrop, I know there are some other different policies that we can talk about as we move along. But with this at the backdrop, I want to establish uh, three core realities that I think the Singapore middle class need to recognize, right? Like because most of you are in the middle class. I mean, I know middle class can be a bit more sensational. Everybody want to squeeze into the middle. I don't know why. Everybody say they're middle class. Anyway, we don't go into how middle class as an idea came about so they can tax you. Okay, <laughs> It's a different discussion. But yes, if you are super geeky, please go and check out how this idea of the middle class came about. It actually came from the Americans and it was an idea so that they can tax you and give you less incentive. 
All right, so they create this new identity because in the past, there's only the ruling class and everyone else. But anyway, anyway, ah, we don't go there. Okay, so what are the realities the Singaporean middle class need to realize today? Okay, so like once again, I establish it is not a right or wrong. We just recognize the reality so they can play the game a little bit better. So this brings me to the first reality that I think we all need to vividly recognize and that is Singapore's private property market is increasingly a way to tax wealth. So the PAP government has over the years consistently repeat that it's very hard to tax wealth. And I think in our four-parter budget discussion with the Rice Media guys and many of my readings on the other countries, right, it is true. Lah. It's quite hard to tax wealth because the welfare got a lot of people to help them to hide. So whether is it your lawyers, your accountants, you know, your bankers, remisers, all that, right? Because the guys are so wealthy, right? They can hire a whole entourage of people to hide money, which is why I did an episode long time ago that, you know, it's not the poor that's milking the system. It is the rich that's milking the system. The poor got what to milk the system, right? But anyway, we don't go there. Huh? So, <laughs> the, I, well, very, very social, politically motivated today. Huh? But anyway, anyway, the idea here is I think governments all over the world realize that it's very hard to tax the rich, right? Very hard to tax wealth. And the PAP government, right, has on some level found a way to tax wealth and that is to tax it through property, right? And what do I mean by they have found a way to tax wealth, right, through property? Because, I mean, you can see, right, they are increasing property tax and they specifically focus on non-owner-occupied property. In other words, right, if you live in that property, your property tax is very low. But if you don't live in that property, your property tax is much higher, like bounds higher, leaps higher, right? And on that basis, it means it is very directly targeting investment property. Right. And recently, the new tax is like 1.5 million and above. There's more taxes. So it's all targeted at investment property and yeah, property that Singaporeans are not living or people are not living in. And why do I think right, the government will increasingly double down on this and increasingly emboldened by it? Right? Okay, so if you didn't know, uh, the property market is a relatively important market in capitalism like, in the sense that it is a place where you know, people with like extra money, right? They put somewhere and then they, it doesn't really need to yield real economic activity, right? It's just a place to put money. It's like a atas, you know, collectible like that, right? So then when you have this kind of atas collectible around, right, it becomes trophies. And when they become trophy, it's really just a place for rich people to put money, okay? It's really just what it is. But huh, as more rich people can't put money in the property market, right? Everyone else that live there or everyone else that own property or not, they get impacted in many ways, right? So if you own property, of course, your property prices move along because this place becomes more valuable. If you don't own, if it's too expensive to climb the ladder, you beta hunt, you know, or your rent move up. You know? so, so there's all that jazz in the property market. So it is an important sector, not in the sense that it is economically very productive. It really doesn't do much other than, you know, scalp, scalp, you know, like rental you, right? It really doesn't do much. No real activity, right? But what happens is because our country, because Singapore has relied on this for so long, if the property market crashes, right? So many people were cannot, which is what WP was talking about, right? And I don't think the PAP is ignorant, right? About the reality that a lot of our older generations, they have money tied in the flat. And then because of uh, the gold era kind of policies where you just let property prices elevate and move along, we, we are in such a situation, right? Where a lot of the elder generation, the pre-retirees or their retiree, they have money, you know, stuck in their property or they have wealth within the property, but they don't really have a lot of cash. And then now today, if you go and like massively 
throw out a whole bunch of like HDB flats or, or increase property development very quickly, what's going to happen is yeah, the property market may crash. It may come down if not enough capital continues to buy it. And if it comes down, ha, whole kampong wakna, right? So so that is the reality, huh? But what is interesting is every single cooling measure has not really cooled the property market. Right? So there has been many, many, many rounds of cooling measures. I'm sure you, you guys know this, right? Have you heard any cooling measure you don't have, right? So more and more and more cooling measure comes in. It is on some level like telling the PAP governments, hey, we can keep taxing more and more of this. Uh, money is still going to come in. In other words, wealth is looking at a Singapore property market as really like a safe, like a bank, like to save money inside. And people are okay to be taxed for that service, you know, just to put money here, it's safe, you know, we put our wealth here and then you tax me a little bit, it's okay lah, right? So, so it's, it's very interesting. Right? And, and there's all sorts of reasons why, maybe because the Sing dollar continue to grow, right? So it can be offset, you know, like you can, you can tax me 30% every year on my NAV, but I offset because the Sing dollar grow, right? As compared to if I put in Australia, you know, all, all this kind of stuff. So it doesn't matter the workings or how it's done, but the idea here is, as more and more of these kind of policies come in to essentially tax wealth in the property market, whether it's a transaction or even holding, yeah, it looks like them strong. It looks like the property market continues to stay strong and very, very likely there will be more taxes going in. Maybe not in the short term, but I believe there will be more and more because yeah, it looks like it is okay to do it. right? And uh, I'm not sure whether you will like it because it also means that the country's income is increasingly tied to the strength of the property market, which you know, can be a two-edged sword, but at least from you and I, you know, the middle class that, you know, maybe you've bought your first property and then you're thinking, how about I buy the next investment property, right? You might want to think a little bit more about it because with all these kind of taxes and all that coming in, right, is it really worth it? I don't know anymore, right? And if it doesn't perform as how it used to perform, it's now performing somewhere like a 5, 6, 7% year on year. Do you really want it, right? Because the REIT market already give you 5.5%, you know, dividend you or distribution you, right? And, and you know, the junk bonds will really easily get you these things. Do you need to participate in the property market to get all that yield anymore? I don't know. And of course, it is also true that as more and more of these kind of taxes come in, the property ladder is being pulled, right? In other words, the property ladder is no longer a ladder that you can climb to accumulate wealth, right? Unlike, you know, like there's a whole bunch of uncle, auntie, right? What? Every day go showroom one. Then those people <laughs> made money through that for, for a long period of time, for a few decades. And I think in our generation, it's going to be damn hard to use that method, right? So this is a reality. Think about it, yeah? And this brings me to my second reality that I think the Singapore middle class have to think about. And that is CPF is increasingly trying to be an anchor, okay? A very strong anchor in your retirement plan, right? And we'll talk a little bit more afterward from our sponsor. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Okay, this point actually sounds quite cute, right? Because CPF always say they are for your retirement and all that jazz, right? So it's like, hey, why you say? That means like last time it's not meant no, I never say that. Nah. Don't anyhow say. Don't interpret. Nah. Don't make me kena. Later nobody wants to sponsor. Huh? <laughs> but we cannot lie to ourselves that for a period of time, a lot of people are questioning whether CPF is enough or whether CPF works, you know, for however you want to indulge yourself in that. And I think for quite a period of time, CPF pretty much let you retire on your own, right? In the sense that they are not intervening in your retirement, right? They, they just say that there's this savings, there's this structure, we give you some interest and then it's up to you lah. You are on your own. Pretty much that's the idea. But since a decade ago, CPF life has changed, right? So CPF life is an annuity program all the way to the end of your life. Essentially trying to manage the risk of your longevity lah or your end, right? It's like, wow, live longer also got a risk. Ah. Yeah lah. If you work 30 years, you live 60 years, you know, of course risk, right? It's very expensive. But yeah, so CPF has shifted on that front and the recent increment of the monthly CPF ceiling is also a great sign that it is more and more of that is happening. Of course, along with the idea that more and more Singaporeans are making higher wages in that sense because median wage has shifted right now. It's about five point something thousand. So you see that happening. You see that moving along. And CPF is increasingly intervening in this idea, right? Like even with platform workers, they want to get them to put CPF and they increase the monthly ceiling and all that, right? So CPF is increasingly doing more and more of that. And objectively, I think you can argue that it is a little bit better than before, right? Because before, you're pretty much on your own. A lot of people have to crack their head. You know, uh, how much do I need to save? Should I need to invest in like structured products? Do I need to buy this plan? Private retirement, private pension, you know, all these things. At least now, CPF is looking to provide a baseline, okay? But if you go and punch the numbers in CPF life, right? It's not going to be a lot. In a sense that it's not going to make you like wealthy. No, 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 it's not, okay? It is trying to provide a baseline for you to survive or live, okay? Of course, you want to thrive, you know, you want to succeed, you know, all those are a bit hard. Okay, and I don't think CPF was any one point in time concerned about that anyway, right? And CPF market itself say, we're going to make you rich, man. May you. Okay, so, <laughs> so, right? So, this thing does not exist, does not exist. But the baseline that it's trying to provide you, I think, is there, right? And you can you can kind of reverse calculate a little bit, right? In the sense that how much you need and how much is CPF life going to provide you? I, I will record another episode around CPF life. But if you go and calculate, right? No matter what number you punch in, right? CPF life is not going to give you a lot such that you can travel the world, you can do this, you can do that. But at the baseline, I think you can survive and live a relatively dignified life with CPF life alone in Singapore. And I say this with a lot of assumption, right? I assume a few things, right? Firstly, I assume that inflation doesn't spiral into the abyss, right? It, this is the first thing. It doesn't go crazy. And it stays relatively constant for a period of time. Secondly, I also assume that CPF will manage money well. In other words, that MAS will manage the money well because actually CPF buys a special bond from MAS, Right? And uh, yeah, so there are some assumptions and for 30 years down, it's really a lot of assumptions, right? So I do say that with a lot of caution and recognize that today is a very volatile situation. Prices are moving like free, you know, so all these things are crazy. So a lot of people are increasingly concerned. But why I want to highlight this, right, that CPF increasingly wants to be an anchor in your retirement is that based on this, I think it is irresponsible for anybody to not entertain CPF as a part of their retirement plan. Okay? So whether you are a 
freelancer, entrepreneur, you know, um, whether is it you stay home parents or, you know, you're, you're, you're a full-time worker, doesn't matter. I think you should entertain what CPF has to offer first before looking at some of the other private arrangements. So it's not like a decade ago where it's up to you, you do you. Now CPF has more and more structures that I think are more targeted at this. And if you don't entertain the policies and the structures within CPF, then you are on some level doing yourself a little bit of a disservice. And it's not too difficult. You can just go to the CPF office and ask them to educate you a little bit more in detail. What do you want? They, you know, they can ask you, they can answer your questions straightforward. So that is a shift in a sense of the reality for the middle class, right? So if you're in the middle class, likely you will meet the basic retirement sum. Very likely also meet the full retirement sum. So if you meet this full retirement sum, in other words, CPF will cover a decent baseline for survival, assuming all the other things stay constant, cetera, parabus, right? And why aren't you then entertaining it as a core part of your retirement planning? Because if you entertain it and don't just look at like private investments or like investing in the market alone, right? So it's not like this or that. It's like together. We look at everything together. You may end up not having to buffer so much and invest so much and insure yourself so much. Then you can live a little lah. You can breathe a little. Your kids no need so stressed also. Right? And I think this is the, the plight on the middle class lah. Right? In, on, on some level. And and. I'm going to talk a little bit about CPF Life in another episode. Uh, we'll talk about your parents, like grandparents, all that. that. That's for another episode. But yeah, recognize that I think CPF is trying to do this and they're taking it in a very um, active manner, not so much just let people do what they want. So yeah, entertain it as part of your overall retirement plan. I think it is a must. This brings me to the third reality uh, that Singapore middle class have to recognize. Okay, the third reality is we will continue to aim to be a cheap labor for MNCs while we try to level up our local capital. Huh? And this is the part that I know not everybody will, will accept, right? Because they think like Singaporeans get paid a lot, blah, blah, blah. But actually, right, it's all relative. Right? Relative to where they can hire, right? A lot of these big tech guys, they shift here because it's cheaper. It's as simple, right? MNCs do not come to your country just so that they can pay more, right? They come to your country because overall it's cheaper to operate here, right? So they, they come to Singapore overall to yeah, operate here like, because it's cheaper, right? So overall, this thing has not changed, right? And if this thing does not change, and honestly, I don't really know how it can change or what are we building towards, right? But if this thing does not change, Singaporeans will continue to work in relatively high-stress environment because yala, the, all these MNCs, they come here, they expect to milk you, right? They expect to get the most value out of you. And it is what it is. This is the reality. And yeah, so these things won't really change. Lor. You will still have to continue upskill. Your productivity have to continue to go up. How you ask for wage growth, you must perform more. You know, this thing does not change, right? And it is what it is. And why do I want this to be a clear reality check for all of us because as much as you know we're talking about like stronger social spending you know skills future redevelopment and all that and it feels like okay maybe we are slowing down a little bit or maybe we are changing our economic style or our policy or our stance and all that right idea is i don't think so okay i don't think so so this is not the structure the overall structure you know, hasn't changed and it doesn't look like it's going to change. Even WP doesn't look like they're really going to change it. Okay? And PSP is barely just started trying to build that platform. Right? So, the idea here is this is still going to be a reality. That's why you go for SkillsFuture. Go SkillsFuture for what? So that you can, you know, get higher quality skills or you know, skills that are that can monetize a bit higher. Lah, right? And then you go back into the market, get a higher job and then you pay your taxes. Right? So, so, the structure is still there 
And why, why this is important, like I said, I'm not here to make a moral judgment whether it's good or not. It is just for all of us to recognize that this is still the core idea. This is still the core structure that is being built. And we have to play the game if we want to play the game in the way that it is and don't be oversold by all the other kumbaya narratives. right? And, and that's how I, I look at things. Lah. And then you may say, but Reggie, you don't even stay here anymore, right? Like, how can you say it this way? And the, the idea here is maybe you can also don't stay there, right? It's, <laughs> it's up to you, right? It's like, okay, we, we all can make personal choices. And I'm not saying like this system is better or other system is better. No, we all can make personal choices. On some level, our personal choices affect us, yes. But to me, right, when you want to make personal choice, you must be clear of the reality, what is in front. And everybody is trying to shape your view, right? Everybody is trying to make it sound like, oh yeah, you know, we're going to be more compassionate, you know, we're going to slow down a little bit, you know, be more understanding and all that. But the core structures have not changed and that is the part that I want to drive at, right? So it is not whether it's good or not, just recognizing this is what it is and it will not change and it has not changed and it doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. So Singapore will continue to play this game of you know, essentially being a cheap labor for MNCs and this is the core sector pretty much. And that process of hopefully we can continue to grow our own local capital and then we make the big margin because if your boss is here, they hire the people here, you know, it's, it's different. It's totally different and we can have another discussion about that another time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. So yes, I'm going to take this time to pretty much sum up the three realities and realizations for middle-class Singaporeans now following this two budget. Right, The first one is Singapore's private property market is increasingly a way to tax wealth. You can see it as the government is trying to do it and the property market continues to stay resilient. Right, and It's so interesting. And with that, you got to ask yourself, is property my next investment? Right, uh, If the returns are not going to catch up, is, are there other places that I can invest? So this is number one. Number two is, CPF aims to become an increasingly strong anchor in your retirement planning. You can see from the policies over the few years. Right? So if this is the reality, are you entertaining CPF as part of your retirement planning? Or are you, you know, just gonna like chuck it aside and say, no, I don't care, I don't trust them, we're gonna do all these other stuff. Right? When actually there are a lot of changes already happening, right? Can we look at some of these things and integrate? So when you integrate together with your maybe your own private investments or your own personal pension and all that, then you don't need to buffer so much, right? You can have more money to do other things and maybe not so stressed. But the reality is, the third reality is, uh, we will continue to be cheap labor for MNCs. Okay? And this is still a core, a very big core in our Singapore market structure, right? So we continue to try to level up, you know, we do skills future, we do all these things. Not so you can relax and la liang, okay? Still for the core that Singaporeans, we repackage ourselves, sell to the next highest bidder, right? But because we are cheap labor for MNCs, we will continue to get pressed. You know, this is how the structure works. If we want to get out of it, we need to have more entrepreneurs, we need to anchor the capital in our own country. We need to bring our people out. We need to do a lot of other things that are, that are not more of the same, 
But at this point in time, I still think it's more of the same. Although I do welcome a little bit more compassion in the policies that are being built. So like I said, today it's not about right or wrong. It is just my overall view of what is happening and the policies. How is it going to shape up for the middle class Singaporeans? So yes, I hope you learned something useful today. See ya! I hope you learned something useful today and truly appreciate that you took time off to better your life with the financial coconut. Knowledge is that much more powerful, interesting, we share, debate, and discuss. Join a community telegram group, sign up for a website, find a weekly newsletter, we're on TikTok, Instagram, everywhere. Like we're everywhere. You know, just give us a follow, you know, so that you get the latest updates on what is happening, right? If you really like to talk, you can go to Reddit, right? We have a Reddit channel now. Right? So subreddit, subreddit. Okay, so yeah, I hope you learned something useful. I will see you next week. Okay, next week, huh, we take a break from uh, budget. Okay, next week, we take a break from budget. I'm going to do something fun. Right? So, I actually asked ChatGPT to give me some financial advice. I beta hunt, right? Because uh, my politicians keep talking about ChatGPT. Right? So, it is what it is. I'm just going to, yeah, essentially ask ChatGPT for personal finance advice and then I'll react to it. Lah. So, there'll be a fun episode next week. And yeah, let's see, let's see where ChatGPT brings us. See you next week.